Good morning, everyone. Uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was John who said, we're, we're blessed to be in a church where people can preach so the guys can go away. Unfortunately, none of them were available, so you have me. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to start off by uh, reading to us, actually, from Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 18, and it'll be up on the screen, too. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast to her are called blessed. I wanted to spend some time today talking to us about wisdom. Uh, I hope you can get a sense from this passage that wisdom is held up in the Bible as one of the most important things that a person can understand and attain across the course of their life. And yet, in my experience, it's been one of the most difficult to comprehend and ethereal aspects of my Christian life. I remember one time uh, I had just started dating a girl and a friend of hers who was wanting to protect her walked up to me and just said, Scott, can I give you some advice? Be wise. (laughs) And I I was a bit taken aback, one, because he was like five years younger than me. Um, Second of all, because I had no idea what he was saying. And I don't just mean I have no idea what he meant. I knew what he meant. He meant, please don't um, mistreat my friends. But I took it way more to heart than that. I took it more as, hang on, wait, be wise. Like, what does that even mean when you really start to drill down to it? What does it mean to be wise? Uh, the Bible holds up wisdom as this amazing thing that is more precious than silver and gold. There is literally nothing we could desire in this life that is more important and more precious than wisdom. And those who take hold of wisdom are blessed and they're like a tree of life. It uses that image of the the life-giving, eternal relationship with God that's invoked in Genesis 1 and uh, Psalm, or Genesis 2 actually, Psalm 1, uh, this image of an eternal blessed relationship with God, so certainly rooted, so deeply planted are you into the, the source of life itself that you are unmovable, you will flourish in every circumstance, everything will go exactly as it's supposed to go in your life, and yet, be wise. What does that mean? Uh, I've entitled this sermon, A Portrait of Wisdom, and I want you to be very uh, apprehensive about that title. I certainly don't mean that you should forget everything you've heard about wisdom because uh, it's a very big topic. And I want to share one aspect of it today. And it's the aspect of wisdom that has eluded me for much of my Christian life. And I, I had a bit of a, uh, a realization earlier this year when a colleague actually was preaching um, to a student at our school that just really helped me to understand this topic from a totally different way. And that's actually the, the portrait of wisdom that I want to share with you. Um, So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray, uh, because I don't want to butcher this, uh, and then we'll we'll get stuck in. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us uh, your word, 
that you have given us the opportunity to gather before you this morning, uh, that you've given me the opportunity to preach uh, from your word. And I pray that as I preach, that you will help me to speak your words, not my own. I pray that uh, what we have to hear this morning will be helpful, um, that it will be something we can take to heart (coughs) and that we can change to be more like your son in response to what we hear. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever I've considered wisdom in my Christian life, particularly over the the bulk of my Christian life, my brain usually jumps to passages like uh, James chapter 3. This is what it says. I think it'll be up on the screen. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, mercy, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, the answer to my problem of wisdom actually is embedded even in that passage, but when I read passages like that for most of my Christian walk, I would very quickly glom onto the moral wisdom uh, components of what's being said. This idea of understanding the right way, uh, living out moral, uh, sorry, uh, understanding moral truth, understanding um, high and lofty things, and I, for most of my Christian life, particularly because when I was young, I was the the smart kid at school, and so my brain instantly kind of went more towards intelligence and understanding. I love going to trivia nights, for example. Um, Accumulation of knowledge and accumulation of um, just reasoning through things has always been really what I've naturally tended towards. And so when I thought about wisdom, I always thought about wisdom as just being, you know, a wise person is a smart person, or a wise person is someone who has been around long enough to understand the ways of the world. Um, But this year, uh, a colleague of me pointed out something that I had never encountered before from the Old Testament, and it's not actually any particular Old Testament passage, it's actually um, the word that gets used for wisdom in Hebrew. Uh, But there's a a passage that I used to um, read, and every time I read it, I just thought, that's that's weird, so I'm going to share that with you, and then I'll unpack what I mean. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. We just read Proverbs 3, 13 to 18, but 19 and 20 says this. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. I was never able to understand that passage. How is it that God can do something by wisdom? I thought wisdom was, you know, moral intelligence, the ability to understand the right way. And yet here it says, the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. Uh, The action that God does is heavily attached to this idea of wisdom. And uh, that's got a lot to do with the fact that the the word for wisdom in the Old Testament is actually the Hebrew word chokmah, and it is pronounced chokmah, which is uh, hard to say. Uh, But it's a word that it doesn't actually really uh, mean moral understanding in its heart. It actually means skill or efficiency or craftsmanship. That's what the word chokmah means in Hebrew. Um, One of the most surprising uses of the word wisdom 
um, and I don't think it even gets translated as wisdom very often when you read it, is in Exodus chapter 36. I don't have it on the screen for you, but in Exodus chapter 36, Moses has just led the people out of Egypt. And once they get out of Egypt, they've, they've done all the stuff with the plagues and the Ten Commandments. God then, for about 20 chapters, gives them instructions on how to build a tent. And the tent goes on to be the, the tabernacle of God, the place where God and man will dwell together. And it's an incredibly important tent. That's why it gets nearly 20 chapters of the Bible, uh, because it is God's presence on earth in that place. That's why it's so important. And obviously, if you think people are going to be making this tent, it must be a really, really well-made tent. And God says that he is going to give chokmah to the craftsman who builds that tabernacle. Uh, there's a man named Bezalel, and he gets singled out uh, many times across those chapters. And it's, uh, God says that he is going to give Bezalel chokmah to be able to design and fabricate and build this tent. And I thought that was such a striking idea when it was explained to me that chokmah, it's not just moral understanding. It's not just uh, experience or the ability to reason through what the right approach is. Uh, actually, wisdom at its heart, it is all of those things, so please don't hear me saying that none of that's important, but it's actually the doing that makes wisdom. The difference between wisdom and knowledge is the action. And wisdom is inextricably linked in Hebrew language to this idea of craftsmanship. I find that to be a really profound idea. Uh, my wife and I bought a house a couple of years ago. Many of you know where it is because it was next door to the church we all met at as a church a couple of years ago. Um, and any of you who saw it when we first bought it um, would know that it was a dump uh, in many ways. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Like it had some good potential to it, but it was in terrible condition. Uh, there was mold growing inside of some of the walls. There was water damage all over the place. The roof was rusting to within an inch of its life. The foundations are fretting away. Uh, huge sections of the outside of the house are uh, falling apart. And as we started to work on that house, I discovered that a lot of the reasons why that house was in such bad shape is because it was just terribly um, worked on by some of the people who had lived in it. The original house was actually built quite well, but one of the owners between the building and us had just done a terrible job on it. Uh, there's a, I might be going into too much detail here, but polycarbonate roofing or um, even just galvanized roofing like you can see on that shutter there, they've got ridges. And if you're going to be screwing into ridged material like that, it would seem logical to put the screws into the, the low part, like into the valleys of the material, because then the screw's got less distance to travel to get into the timber or whatever you're affixing it to. But that's actually the exact wrong way to do it. Uh, if you screw down from the bottom, then it actually makes it easier for water to get in through the screw hole, and it increases the likelihood of water damage. And the Anyone who knows how to work with that material, that's one of the first things you learn. I didn't know that. Um, I learned it by seeing the results of what happens when people do it the wrong way, because our back veranda was the leakiest, rotten, most disgusting thing ever, because the people who had put the polycarbonate in had done it that way. They had put the screws in the bottom. It was bad craftsmanship, and that bad craftsmanship led to huge amounts of damage, and it led to the house being effectively in dire need of repair. And through um, doing up our house over the last couple of years, I've, I've learned the value of good craftsmanship. I've learned the value of doing a job properly, doing it intelligently, but doing it well, 
not just thinking about doing it well, but actually doing it well. When something has been crafted well, you get to see the amazing benefits of it. Um, I, I sometimes like to watch random Facebook and YouTube reels when I'm just kind of in a moment of uh, letting time get away. But often what ends up, um, maybe because I've watched so many of them, the algorithm knows me now, um, I often see videos of people just working really well with some sort of material, like a guy who just makes a pot out of, like, you know, he just gets a lump of clay, chucks it on the wheel, and then like 10 seconds later there's this like perfect pot because he's just so good at working with clay. Um, or, you know, people doing cool things with fairy floss or making food or whatever. Um, there's, there's a joy in good craftsmanship. Um, it, is, it is a joy in and of itself to see something being done well. Uh, and that's what Hokmah is. Uh, a craftsman is someone who can take raw material and from that raw material produce something that is good and useful and a joy in its own right. And the, the thing that I had never really understood about wisdom until I had had this explained to me is that that's also what wisdom is in the Bible. But if a craftsman is someone who knows how to take a raw material and then work it so that it becomes good and useful and beautiful in its own right, what is the raw material of wisdom? And the answer to that is life itself. Wisdom is the skill to take the raw material of life and take it and turn it into something that is good and useful and beautiful in its own right. And when you think about it in those terms, you start to understand why a passage like Proverbs 3 can say things like, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Wisdom is an amazing thing because it's God's gift to us to take this raw material of our lives and turn it into something that is good and useful and beautiful in its own right. But there's a big problem there. Um, if we just think about our own lives and our own inclinations and our own experiences, that's not what we do. Uh, when I think about my own life, I think about the people who owned my house before me, just making it up as they go along, doing what seems right to them, and if it's good enough, fantastic, move on. Meanwhile, it's creating damage and destruction and ugliness that festers away for years and years and years until eventually the the ruin from that bad craftsmanship all comes to catch up with, in this case, my house, but in, in our case, it's our lives. If we are bad craftsmen with the raw material of our lives, we create ugly, compromised, fragile things that are not going to last and are not going to be a blessing or a help to anyone. They're actually going to be a challenge. And so we need... Wisdom. We need the skill from God to take the raw material of our lives and turn it into something true and good and beautiful and useful and glorifying to God in its own right. So how do we do that? How do we take this life that God has given us and learn the skills to actually 
used this raw material and turned it into something good and something useful and something beautiful. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise instruction and wisdom, or wisdom and instruction. One of the main reasons why we make such a ruin of our lives is because we leave God out of the picture. We, we don't think about what would be the right thing for me to do in this situation according to God's standards, according to God's wisdom, according to God's understanding. Instead, what do I want? What's the thing that is going to help me most right now? What's the thing that is going to get me the results that I'm after? What am I shooting for? What's, what's the thing um, that I want to make of my life for myself? And yet that wisdom, it's just like going to the polycarbonate roofing and putting the screws in the valleys instead of in the peaks. It might seem right to you, but the results are disastrous. It's not the right way to go. Uh, the right way to go is to fear God. Fear doesn't necessarily mean be afraid of, although it certainly does include that. Um, but fear means respect. Fear means show deference to. It means actually take on board um, you know, the reality of this thing being significant. Um, you know, I fear, well, I would fear, for example, a lion if I was inside an enclosure with it. Um, I take it seriously. I certainly don't ignore it. Um, I fear, well, when I was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, I had a tremendous amount of fear for that. I certainly didn't ignore it. Um, I certainly didn't think that it was nothing. Um, it was a factor in my life that was incredibly significant in that moment. That's what fear means in this context. If, if you fear God, you don't push him to one side. It, it would be ludicrous to truly fear God and then push him to one side because to fear God is to understand that he is the most significant reality in our lives and in this universe. There is no, important, there is no reality more important than God. And that is the beginning of wisdom, to, to fear God. And I don't know about anyone else in here. Well, I do actually, because we're all humans, and so I can extrapolate from my experience to yours. We suck at that. I do, so you do as well, I assume. Um, <clears throat> we, we suck at making God important, thinking about God as important. Uh, every day, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? What's the most important reality on your mind as you get ready for work, when you look after your child, when you, when you eat your breakfast. Where's God in that picture? Where's God when you're driving in your car and the person in front of you pulls out in front of you and makes you slam on your brakes? Um, happened to me on Friday. Um, where's God when your child is misbehaving? Where's God when you're planning what to do with your weekends? Where is God when you're thinking about how you're going to spend your money? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and to fear God is to take him seriously, is to put him in a place where he is a significant and imminent and important reality in your life. If you push God to one side, you do not fear him. If you don't fear God, wisdom is going to be far from you. One of the ways that we can help to reset ourselves uh, in that is to uh, remember the, the words of Psalm 90. It's a prayer to God, but it says, Teach us to number our days 
that we may gain a heart of wisdom. One of the reasons why we put God to one side is because we, we trick ourselves into thinking that this life is uh, good enough without God on the one hand, but also going to go on without God forever. Um, and both of those things are not true, but if we remember that we are mortal, if we remember that we are part of a, a reality in which God is the ultimate source of life and goodness and truth, then it helps us to then uh, reset ourselves to think, actually, there's something more important than me in my life. There's something else going on that I need to be paying attention to. If we number our days, it helps us to fear God. But that's only half the battle. To, to be motivated to fear God, it, it, it gets harder than that. Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, these are the words of a father to a son. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. In this passage, we see a father pleading with his son to seek out wisdom. And the reason why he's calling his son to seek out wisdom is because he has come to understand that by wisdom, you will live your life the best possible way. And that way is in relationship with the God who is the source of all wisdom and also learning from the God who is the source of all wisdom. Uh, one of the most striking things when I think about that craftsmanship metaphor for wisdom is that if you think about, say, an apprentice on a job site or even just someone who's learning how to do any job for the first time, they, they don't just turn up and they're an instant expert. They need to learn. They need to be instructed. They need to be given opportunities to do it. And then they need to actually refine that skill over time through making mistakes, correcting them, uh, learning more and more, and all of that usually happens in the context of relationship with someone who knows the right way to do things. Um, it's not just enough to fear God and then just try to live to please Him. That doesn't lead to wisdom in and of itself. That's the beginning of wisdom, to, to understand the significance of God in our lives, to understand that His will is the way to live wisely. But if that's all we're doing then we will not gain wisdom. We actually need to be in a relationship with the master craftsman. We need him to show us how to live. And so to, to fear God is the start, but the next step is then to seek his instruction out, to search for it, to go to him and receive from him the gift of his wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 says... If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. When we don't fear God, when we try to do things our own way, we turn our lives into broken, compromised vessels of destruction that are a drain on the people around us and a drain on like an, an active source of ugliness and... Um, 
dishonorableness, if I can say that. You know, it's just, it's just unpleasant to be around bad craftsmanship. Um, and it's even more unpleasant to be around bad craftsmanship when, that, when the raw material is a person and a person's life. And that's us. Every single one of us is the, the dodgy craftsman who's just made it up as they went along and made a mess out of it. Uh, made something ugly, made something dishonorable, made something that needs to be broken down and start again. And in order to, to do that, in order to receive the wisdom, uh, the ability to craft our life into something new and something better, we need to be in a relationship and in connection with that master craftsman. We need to ask God. Um, if, you, if you think about that, well... If I, if I met the person who stuffed up my roof, um, I would be not thrilled like, to have a conversation with them about that work. You know, if, if they asked me, oh, how did you like the roof? It would be very hard for me to find a nice thing to say about it because it was just done really badly and I had to work really hard to fix it. Um, but it's worse than that for God with our sin. Not only have we wrecked ourselves, we've actually made ourselves so unlovely, so unworthy of His perfect, holy presence that we have zero right to even be in the same postcode as God, to even be in the same universe as the presence of God. We have made ourselves so unlovely and so unworthy to Him that the only right and appropriate consequence for how we have treated ourselves, that gift of life that He's given us, is actually to have that gift taken away, to, to die. That's the punishment that we deserve from God. Uh, God reacts to our sin in the same way that you might react to someone swanning up to your house, you know, firing two rifles haphazardly in every single direction. He doesn't want to be anywhere near us. Um, it's offensive for God to be anywhere near what we have done of our lives. The, the shocking craftsmanship that we've made of ourselves means that in all rights, God should be absolutely nothing to do with it. His response to us should be, sorry, you've completely screwed that up. It just needs to go now. Uh, when we bought our house, actually, the guy who did the condition report said to us, it's, it's trashed. It, it, has no, it just needs to be knocked down. Like, that's the right thing to do with this house, is to knock it down and start again. If you want to have a good house on this block, knock it down. And that's how God should respond to us. He should say to us, you are done. You've, you've wrecked it. There is no second chance. Sorry that you've made a mess of the gift that I gave you. And yet, that's not what God says. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified. That's one of the interesting things about the first uh, chapters of um, Proverbs. Wisdom is actually described as a woman calling out in the streets saying, Seek me. Come after me. If you live the way that I offer to you, things will go well for you. Um, and yet, and we know that wisdom is personified ultimately in God, but how can we access that wisdom? How can we be in a relationship with the master craftsman after we have broken his work? And the answer to that is that we do have the opportunity to have a relationship with the wisdom of God in the person of wisdom, but that person is ultimately Christ. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks uh, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." When I reflect on my life, particularly my early Christian life, and I think about this call to be wise, and I think about how little I understood of that, I I thought wisdom is understanding of what's right. I didn't really think through the uh, the full implications of the fact that I live against the wisdom of God almost incessantly by turning my back on Him, by doing things that are wise in my own eyes. I certainly didn't think about my life as being a raw material that God has given me to be crafted and that he has, steward, he has given me stewardship of my own life as a craftsman to build something, to build something, um, well, to build something, to make it into some thing. But that's what God's done for each of us. He's given us the ability to shape our lives. And when we did that by ourselves, the result was ruin and disaster, unworthy, unglorious, inglorious, um, waste and ruin and wreck. And in the process of doing that, we cut ourselves off from a relationship with him who is the source of the true wisdom that would, be able, that would actually make it possible for us to live a life that is beautiful, that is crafted well, that is glorious in its own right. And yet despite all of that, when we chose to live out what is wise in our own eyes and live according to the wisdom of this world and to produce the the condemned garbage that we turned our lives into, God still sent His Son to live the wise life, to live the life that is beautiful, that is well-crafted, that is glorious in its own right. And He sacrificed that life. And He sacrificed it for us. He sacrificed it so that instead of the, the building, the house of our life needing to be condemned and torn down... Instead, he would start working from within it, like that master craftsman, slowly chipping away at all the dodgy work and rebuilding it and replacing it with something useful and good and true and beautiful. And he has given us the opportunity to have that relationship with him, the master craftsman, who can teach us and empower us to live as good stewards, as good craftsmen of the raw material of our lives. The wisdom of this world 
and the wisdom of our hearts in, without God leads to ruin and destruction. But the wisdom of Christ allows our lives to be built up into something that is true and good and glorious and worthwhile and something that will last beyond uh, the, the very short amount of time that we have to live on this planet. But in order to have access to that kind of wisdom, we need to be in a relationship with God. We need to turn back to Him and we can only do that through Christ. So when I've reflected on this idea of wisdom... Uh, for the longest time in my Christian life, the missing piece for me was that it's not just about knowing good things. It's not just about knowing that there is a God out there who has certain expectations of us, um, knowing that His will is good, knowing that there are right ways to behave and there's wrong ways to behave. It's so much deeper than that. True wisdom is actually to seek God every day, every moment, to be in a relationship with Him, to actually plug ourselves into the instruction and the correction and the discipline and the rebukes and the training of that master craftsman so that we can forge our lives into something that is worthwhile. And we can do that not because we are wise, not because the way that we instinctively live our lives is anything good. We can do it because the wisdom of God is so much bigger than our wisdom. We can do it because He chose the folly to humans to to those of us who thought we knew what we were doing of the cross and actually tear down the brokenness of this world through his son so that we can start again in him. True wisdom is counterintuitive. True wisdom is different to what we would assume is the right way to do things. True wisdom is to approach God and to approach God in Christ, even when that feels like the wrong thing to do, even when we don't want to, even when it seems like there's something else in our lives that's more important. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and to the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you can desire can compare with her. Long life, eternal life, is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. I want to encourage each of us today to Take stock of your life. Take stock of the, the building or the house that you've built out of the raw material that God has given you to work with. What have you made to this point? What, what brokenness is hiding behind the damp walls? Where's the mold festering? Which part of it is about to collapse for inattention? Which part of it is ugly to those who pass by? Which part of it is dishonoring and disgraceful and in bad need of repair because it is so far away from what it should have been? Every single one of us, when we live according to our own wisdom, we've made a wreck of our lives. We've made it something that is completely opposite to what God wants it to be. But through Christ, we have access to build again. We have the ability to learn from the master craftsman as we build uh, over the broken and destroyed parts of our lives. We tear down the things that aren't working properly. We build up something more beautiful in its place. 
And in the process, God can work through our lives to make them into something that is glorious and eternal and a sheer delight and blessing to those who come into contact with it. Not because we are wise, not because we have earned any of that in our own right, but because we have access to the true wisdom that comes from fearing God and knowing Him through Christ. So wherever your house of your life is at right now, remember that if you want it to last, if you want it to be something beautiful, if you want it to be something worthwhile in this world, relying on your own wisdom is going to take you in 100% the wrong direction. Turn back to Christ. Turn to what He has made possible through Him, uh, through His death, through His suffering, and build up something glorious in His place under His instruction. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us access to true wisdom. Uh, I thank you for the realization that you have given me that um, wisdom is not just moral truth. It's not just understanding. It is those things, but it's so much more. I pray that you will help us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Uh, Please help us to not be wise in our own eyes, but wise according to your standards. Please help us to live out what to many around us will seem like foolishness as we celebrate the death of your son on the cross for our redemption and we live out the hope that you have given us through his resurrection from the dead. Uh, Please give us the wisdom to seek out your will, to live out your will and to be a true blessing and source of glory through what you're doing in us to those who we encounter. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.